The reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5 through 15. I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For this minist- for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Reading of God's word. morning. God has been very good to us. He's been very good to me. And over this past week or two, I've um, come to some realizations. Last weekend was a fairly significant one for me. I kind of reached the point of understanding that I just, with the building project started and everything else, it was just going to overwhelm me. And so God was very gracious to send along some people to come alongside me and basically say, hey, we've got your back. Um, there's been, uh, in addition to my wife, who, of course, is, you know, has been my support, that situation we all need where, you know, the story in Moses where Aaron and her hold up Moses' hands where he's doing that. I just want to encourage you this morning. By the way, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to tell you. I felt this week like people came along and held up my hands when they were drooping. And I don't know where you all are in your lives and what's going on in your world, but every one of us need that, not just leaders. Every one of us at times. But two things I just want to tell you about. One is you've got to say, would you hold up my hands? At some level, I don't know how you would say it, but to say, I need support. I need that. It's Maybe someone would just come alongside and sense it, but guys especially, you know how hard it is for us to say, I'm, I'm falling apart here a bit, I'm drowning a bit, would you come alongside that? But, and I don't know what, if it would be brothers in Christ, if it would be counsel, if it would be, you know, whoever, but to have the humility to say, I need help, I need you alongside that. And second is, we turn first to God and see 
these people that come alongside as representatives of Christ. Because we can't see our salvation coming from one another, because there is no salvation in that. The support that they gave was out of right, the strength of Jesus Christ. So that's just a that's a freebie, no extra, don't have to pay any extra for that, but that's just an individual word. I don't know if that means anything, but I'm just sharing with you from what I've felt this week. This passage that we're looking at this morning, um, I've steeped in it for actually three or four weeks, just this one chapter. And, and I confess to you, I, it, it, I feel like there's tons of wrong ways to speak on this chapter. I've, I've heard plenty of uh, sermons uh, on this taking up this offering. God loves a cheerful giver. You reap what you sow, reap bountifully. And essentially, most of the words that I've heard come down to this. Give more money than you're currently giving. If I had to break down this whole chapter, that's essentially most of the sermons that I remember hearing essentially took this and said, you ought to give more than you're currently giving. I don't know if you should be giving more than you're giving or not. I have no idea what any of you give. All right, You may be giving way more or whatever. I, that's, that's between you and Jesus. I, I frankly don't really think that's what Paul's saying here. And so... I'm just going to muse a little bit on this. I'm not going to try to, I'm going to, I am going to teach kind of methodically and slowly, and we're going to look through some scriptures on this, but I, I want to muse with you a little bit on this. I, I say muse because I'm just going to kind of share with you as I've steeped in this some things that have risen up within me. Uh, many of you know I'm a not very good backyard gardener. I find it very, very cheap therapy. Very expensive vegetables it produces because for all the money I put into it, I could buy the cucumbers or tomatoes for a lot less than I do in my time and the, what I buy and the fertilizer. And my goodness, I probably have, I probably eat $10 tomatoes. But I, 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 I just find that in digging my hands in the soil and in tearing up the weeds and, and whatever. And I, I love every time there's an agricultural reference in Scripture because I feel like, yes, I'm, I'm ahead of the game here. I, I get this a bit. Um, I think all of us intuitively understand this, you reap what you sow. Right? That, just, that, that phrase, by the way, is not new with this or whatever. I'm going to go through. I think I can move us ahead because we're going to go through a bunch of different Scriptures um, so let's just go back like a thousand years and I'll show you how far you reap what you sow has been going. So here's just a few of the scriptures from Job 4. As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Right? You reap what you sow. You reap, plow sin in your life, you're going to reap sin in your life. Right? So it's not, you know. Uh, here's Proverbs 22 we read today. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. The rod of his fury will fail. From Jeremiah, so we're, you know, 900 years before the New Testament was written. Though they have sown wheat and have reaped thorns, they have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They should be ashamed of their harvests because of the fierce anger of the Lord. So this idea of reaping what you're sowing, Paul in Galatians, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. But then Jesus comes on the scene. And we have to interpret all Scripture through Christ, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, because Jesus, you have to understand, Jesus reinterprets 
everything through himself as the word of God. This is what we say. We say he's the living word of God. He says, you can't understand the scripture without coming through me. So let's see what Jesus said, because he talks about it a number of times. We'll just look at two. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, what's the lesson here? It's like, with, so I, you don't have to sow or reap anymore because the birds don't. I love you more than birds. No. He's saying something else is going on here. We, we think our work somehow produces what we get. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you do that, right, I want you to think. Jesus in John 4 says this. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Don't you say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? So these farmers, these agrarians knew that don't pick the fruit yet, don't harvest yet. It's not early enough. You're trying to harvest your tomatoes right now, and tell you anybody in this area, you're just going to get nothing. Green little things. It's not ready yet. But he says, you have to look at the harvest through me. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm turning on its head who's sowing and who's reaping here. See, he says, the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So what's he saying? Jesus reinterprets this, and he says somehow this sowing and reaping is a community event, and it's done in the kingdom of God, because after the birds of the air, he says, I tell you, you need to sow by seeking the kingdom of God. That's the verse three after that. He says, to sow is to seek God's kingdom. And then what does he say? The reaping comes when I add things to your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. All right. Second musing. You reap what you sow. It's true, but not always. I can't tell you how many times I've sowed peppers and cucumbers and I, I never sow squash anymore because what I sow is dead squash plants to squash borers. I can't kill those suckers. I can't figure out how not to have them destroy it. Right? And if I thought I always sowed one thing and it's a guarantee that what I'm getting is that, I think I'd be frustrated because it doesn't always work. It generally works. I'll tell you what I've never done. I've never sowed a squash plant and got tomatoes. Right? And so Paul is looking at this sowing and reaping. And we go back to that proverb that we read, and it says, uh, if you've got your Bible, we can go back just a second to Proverbs 22. Because again, I'll, I'll say it's generally true, but we have to be careful to look at this the way Jesus did, not the way we want to look at it. He says, um, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord, in verse 4 of Proverbs 22, is riches and honor and life. 
Does that mean that everyone who is humble and has feared the Lord is rich in this world? Obviously not. If you're on, if you're in Nepal in some village, you may honor the Lord, but I'm just telling you, by our standards, you're not probably going to be rich, right? In the material sense. So we've got to be careful how we look at things and how we look at this sowing and reaping. Go back with me to Second Corinthians chapter 9. Remember the context here is that Paul is looking for the gift that the Corinthian church had promised to give to the suffering church in Jerusalem. And he says, I'm going to send a delegation. Titus and two other brothers are going to come, and they're going to pick up this gift because it's good for you that now that you've repented, now that you have turned back to the Lord and you've turned back to my counsel, if you're in love with God, show me. And the way you're going to show me is in true repentance. That was in the, the verses just prior to this. We're going to see godly repentance. And you're going to purify your lives, get rid of the sin, and you're going to complete what you said you'd do, which is giving this generous offering to the suffering church in Jerusalem. So he says, I'm going to send uh, people to pick this up. And then in verse 5, he says, I want it to be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The word there, the, the, the Greek word there is a eulogy, a willing gift. You know, you know, eulogies today, we only think of eulogies in funerals, right? He says it's a eulogy, not a tax, that exaction. He says, I'm not taxing you. I'm not telling you what you have to do. I want you to give a eulogy. And who's the eulogy for? We, we think of eulogies as for the deceased, right? Now, I've been, I've done in, in my capacity as a pastor, I've done a number of different funerals now, and there's two types of eulogies. There's the factual eulogy, the eulogy of, you know, this person went to the school, did this thing, or the eulogy, what you what should be said about this person. And then we've all been to um, funerals where the eulogy flows out of someone's heart, and you see the blessing that that person has been, and you witness how under no compulsion, they don't feel compelled to say a thing, but because of their love for that person, you, you we've all been, and it just touches our hearts, right? And he says, this offering, this gift, isn't, shouldn't, well, I don't want it, basically, Paul says, if it's under obligation or compulsion. This should be like a beautiful eulogy flowing out of what? Your love for the church in Jerusalem? No. And this is the part of the musing and the part that I, I want to go back to reaping and sowing just, just a second. Because, and hear this, just have the ears to hear what the Spirit would say here, all right? I feel like in a lot of Christianity, in my Christianity today and in our Christianity today, this is what tends to happen, is that we read things like this about being generous givers, and we sort of say to ourselves, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to give more. I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll dig in a little bit and see where I can find, uh, the extra coins. I'll throw an extra fiver in the plate or I'll, I'll, I'll give five dollars more to my compassion child. You know, I'll see what I can do to be more generous. And it's the same way with the fruit of the spirit when your temper is out of control or your fear or your anxiety just runs rampant. And you say, I know I should be peaceful. I just, I, I, 
I, I just know I'm not. I, I gotta be more peaceful. God, just put that peace on me. Lord, I, I know I should be more loving. I just, I have such hatred, but I just, I, I gotta do more. So uh, you just will it up and you just try. I'll give five more. I'll be a little more at peace this week. You know, I'll just, I'll try, try, try. And the Bible says what's begun by the Spirit cannot be completed by the flesh in the book of Galatians. And I feel like if we preach this and look at this as we just got to try to be givers. And by the way, you darn well better be cheerful about it. Because God only loves a cheerful giver. So, you know, not only do I have to give more, but I got to come up with a good attitude. Like, come on! I think he's saying, look, this is all about the soil, not about the plant. Any gardener knows, as bad a gardener as I am, I know that most of my work happens long before I ever put the seed in the ground. Because I put plenty of seeds in the ground that don't go anywhere. And it's usually when I don't have time and it's too late and I'm just tired. And so I dig a little bitty hole and I throw a little bit of dirt and I throw a couple of things of fertilizer in and I stick a seed in and I go, oh, Lord God, please make this thing grow. And it never grows. I think, why not? Because I sowed where there was no fertile soil. And generosity is not going to come as you try to give more and squeeze more out and feel guilty that you don't tithe or give more than your tithe or whatever it is the Bible says we should do, which we'll talk about at some point, but that's not what this is about. Because this is all about a heart that's filled in soil that understands verses far before the one we just read and after the one we just read where the tilling of the soil happens. Let me read you the verses that I think this giving happens in. And if, you, if your soil isn't there, you won't be a generous giver. Not because you don't want to be, but because you're never, you're gonna, it's like taking a piece of duct tape and trying to throw a store-bought tomato on a plant, a tomato plant that shriveled because it's not in good soil. And you think, well, at least people think I'm growing fruit. Here are the verses I want to... Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about this subject. But here's what he says in verse uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 8. Lord, help our hearts to hear this. I'm not saying this as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Because if you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. See, the truth of the matter is, you're rich. I don't care how much money you make or have or don't have. You're incredibly rich, as am I. And yes, we're rich by this world standards, but that's irrelevant to this. You're rich because Jesus Christ has bought you and made you a co-heir with Him. In verse 9, chapter 9, the very last verse, Paul closes this and he says, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. See, as I meditate and cogitate on these verses, rather than trying to squeeze generosity out of an ungenerous heart, I think if I steep, and you and I will steep in the truth that you've been gifted 
with a gift beyond measure and that you are rich because if, you, if you've opened the gift, now you may not have opened the gift, and if you haven't opened the gift of Jesus Christ, then you, you don't have the riches at your disposal. But if you have, then the point of this is that the ground will be tilled by our gratitude for what Jesus has already done. And then what begins to make sense is, is there an element of discipline to giving? Sure there is. It does, it's not just a feeling. And let's, we'll talk just a second about what, what marks godly giving. But that really this is rooted in this eulogy, this willing gift, because we're giving testimony to who Jesus is in our lives. And, and the irony is, this is a eulogy for a living man, right? We give eulogies for dead people, but Jesus is alive. And we're eulogizing him with the way we give, not just our money, but our time, our attention. Our time, actually, in many ways in this area, is far more valuable than our money to us, right? And I could give lots of examples of why I think that's true, but just trust me right now, I think it is. Verse 9, the point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So Paul elaborates on this, you reap what you sow. And he says not only that, but, you know, when I plant, um, like we planted lettuce, and if I plant, if I planted it from seed, which we didn't this year, but when I do, you know, lettuce is supposed to be like a foot apart. And do you plant one seed per foot and you just pray that every seed comes up perfectly? No, you, you overseed. You plant like every two inches and then you thin the ones that are out. And this is what Paul's getting at is that as we begin to sow, and let me think, tell you some things to sow in addition to your money. I want you to sow words of encouragement to your children, to your spouse, to your employer or employees, and to those that you meet. Would you sow generous words of truth and love? Would you take time to sow into them appreciation? You know, taking time to just tell people what you love about them and do it often because some of that stuff's going to be thinned out by the world, right? And But what's left can be a plant because our words are life. Our words give life or death, right? Power of life and death in the tongue. Would you be generous with your resources and your time as God directs you? Sow those things because what we reap from God is it's amazing. It's His Spirit that we reap. Let's go through just very briefly. I just want to say what, show what God has um, told us, the way we should give. Let's look at um, these verses slowly, and I'll just point out to you again in the musing. Uh, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, intentionally. You know there's a whole marketing scheme. There are people who know how to get you to give on the spur of the moment by emotional. Just show me a sick puppy and you want to, you want to open up and give. And I, I don't mean that casually or flippantly. It may sound that way, but I don't. People know how to, there's, there's 
departments and schools that tell you how to get people to give money and to manipulate you. And the Bible says you must decide in your heart. We don't want anyone giving, whether it's to Building Hope, to our project, or anything else, because of an emotional response to something. God's, if it's God's money, he's going to direct you how to give it to whatever it is. Decide in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, right? So we give intentionally. That was the first one. We give willingly, right? Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not out of guilt, not because we're taxed, right? The third thing we do is we give. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work, right? So God's grace responds not to your giving, not to your money. He responds to that gratitude as our hearts have been made aware of how much we have. Let's look at um, if you've got your Bible, let's go back. I want to go back one verse to um, in verse. I think I had verse seven up there before. Let me see. Did I have verse seven? Ah. Well, let me read verse seven to you. Verse seven says the second part is each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right? Not because we work up being cheerful. The word hilaros is the Greek word, and it has nothing to do with hilarity, though that is where hilarious comes from that same thing. Hilaros means this. We're ready to give to something because we are already persuaded and already approved that it's good. Some of y'all, there are people in your life that if they asked you for anything, and think of your children or think of someone who's proved themselves so worthy that you would say, if you asked me, I would give it like that because I know you're going to use it well. That's cheerful giving. That's the word, is that we are so ready to give because we just we love them and we know that they're going to use it well. It says that's cheerful giving, not pasting a smile on. Right? As we close, let's just look at what the Lord says He will do. He's able to make, we looked at all grace abounding in us. All grace abounding in us. Look at this. It says, He, that's God, who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of His righteousness. So God promises that as we give of what we have, He's going to give you more to give, and He's going to make the harvest of what you give something beyond what you could do on your own. I don't understand how that happens. Don't ask me how it happens. I'm telling you God's Word promises that it does. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us produces thanksgiving to God. So that as you're generous to others, you're enriched 
And other people thank God. Other people turn to God for that. That's pretty amazing to me. Paul mashes up two verses from the Old Testament as he describes this and as we close. And I, I do want to read those last two verses because um, you'll, you'll hear some of the words duplicated in what Paul uses here. And the first is from, you can write this down or you can turn to it if you have. It's Isaiah 55, verse 10. And we'll read verses 10 and 11. So this is um, referring, this is where he refers in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. And he uses language that draws from Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. And here's what it says. For just as the rain and snow, well, let me see if I, I think I may have these verses up here as well. Yeah. Go back to... I'll read 10. For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it bud and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, my word, so my word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and it will prosper where I send it. So beyond this giving and thinking about this in monetary terms, what what's going to last eternally is God's Word being sown in situations. So as you think about the situations of your life, speaking to yourself and your fears and your addictions and our lusts and our, our anxieties, sow God's Word in because it will reap a harvest of righteousness. It'll reap the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace. And as we see need and we sow our resources into need, we'll see God birth a harvest out of soil that's so grateful for what Jesus has done for us. And God's word is that it, His word, God's word is that His word never comes back void or empty. It accomplishes its purpose. The hows and the whys, I don't exactly know, and neither will you, but it accomplishes its purpose. The second verse that it's referring to is in Hosea 10, verse 12. And it says this, Sow righteousness for yourself, and you will reap the fruit of unfailing love. It's time to break up that unplowed ground because it's time to seek God. You want to begin to have the fertile soil of your life, begin to harvest, break up the foul ground, seek the Lord until he comes and he showers his righteousness on you. Being a backyard farmer, I get to like I can water everything in about five minutes that I actually grow. True farmers don't have that luxury, right? They're completely dependent, especially in the old days before these vast irrigation systems. Like, you just got on your knees, didn't you, and prayed. You're out there in the plains of North Dakota somewhere trying to grow your wheat. You realize how helpless you are. And you need the showers or your livelihood is gone and you and your family face starvation, right? Talk about feeling helpless, right? 
that's a better picture than my picture of taking my watering can out for my tomato plant where I can control it. Because, Lord, we need the showers of God's righteousness upon us, and we can't control it. And you, you and I cannot control what the Lord God does, but what we can do is humble ourselves before Him and sow what He's given us to sow. His Word and the resources and the time and the talents He's given us, and we sow them back into the kingdom, and we begin to see and experience God's life in us. And it's a beautiful thing. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, You've said the harvests... Jesus, You said the harvests are white. That means that they're ready, that the fields are ready for the reaping because you, through others, have done the sowing. Lord, we may be called to sow or we may be called to reap. Would you open our eyes how we can plow our fields, plow our heart under to become soft towards you so that we're ready to sow and reap and because we are so thankful for the inexpressible gift of Your Son, that we're aware that everything we have is Yours. Every bit of seed is from You. The bread's from You. Lord, everything You call us to do, You give us the strength and resources to accomplish. So come and rain righteousness upon us, Lord. So as we sow to ourselves, Lord, the, right, the rightness that You are, you'd break up the fallow ground, Lord, and that we'd see the showers of righteousness. I'm just going to give a minute for us to pray before we close in worship and just encourage you to just ask the Lord, if nothing else, ask Him to make your heart aware of what Jesus has done if you have no idea what I'm talking about, come see me because the greatest gift ever, the inexpressible gift, is waiting for you. But if you know what Jesus Christ has done for you, would you just ask Him to make your heart so grateful at first love in thankfulness for His sacrifice for us?